Tchaikovsky to make it three! Scintillating football by the Chicago Fire! Finding Herbers, Fabian Herbers is in again, and Fabian Herbers has scored again! A man on fire! Welcome to another edition of the Intercontinental Football Show. No, it is not SMP. No, it is not <laughs> TNP, but it is a MAP, Monday Afternoon Potting. Monday Arlo Afternoon Potting. Uh, off- yes, yes, I like it. Hashtag MAP. MAP. We're, we're on the map. We're on the map, baby. And we're not just talking about the top of the soccer uh, podcast chart on Apple, but we're just talking simply about what we're engaging at the moment, and that is going to be a whole lot of football. We'll start with the Chicago Fire. We'll end with, with our side of the pond, and in between, we'll talk plenty of Premier League drama. Boring again, weekend in the Premier League, Tyler. Don't Very bother watching boring. the Premier League. Uh, another it's not one. worth yeah. it. I mean, it's so yeah. dull. Tune into a different league, maybe Bundesliga, La Liga. There's nothing to see in the Premier League. It's an awful competition. Yeah, maybe the Primera Division in Costa Rica is for yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if you, yeah, boring nil-nil draws with with no storylines <laughs> and and everything of the sort. But Andrew Williams uh, is in charge of this show. Um, you know, the the inmates are not running the asylum just yet. Arlo White, of course, the voice of the Premier League on NBC, and myself, Tyler Terrence, of the voice of the Chicago Fire. Mr. Arlo, how are you, my friend? I'm uh, doing, you, had, uh, yeah. you had quite the weekend. I had an amazing weekend. I was at Brentford on Saturday. I was at the North London Derby on Sunday. I stayed in uh, in London last night to, to have a night out with an old pal that I'd not seen for two years. And, and that went in a very predictable fashion, as I'm sure your stag do slash books party went in uh, yeah. in Arizona on, on Friday and yeah, Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Um, all I will say is that there's a picture floating around somewhere, not on the internet, but simply in a uh, in a group text somewhere of me with an orange wig on from a bachelorette party. So, um, so you're, are you saying are you saying you're a ginger wannabe? I was a ginger. I was a ginger for about three hours. In my <laughs> how, mind, how was, was it for you? Out of interest, how was it, was it for you? Not having a soul is fun. You have no dignity. <laughs> like there's nothing to worry about. It was it was amazing. I had a, I had a really good time. There you go. Welcome I was a to my world. Human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not as pasty, but you know, the the hair was there. There's no soul, um, but it was it was an incredible time celebrating uh, one of my very best friends, friends of uh, of over 15 years now, Zach Gray, Fantastic. who's going to be tying the knot um, well, later later well, in October. Congratulations uh, to him and to and to his bride to be. All I can say is what what goes in Shoreditch stays in Shoreditch. Tyler, let's move oh, on to the football. Great neighborhood Shoreditch. I spent I Amazing. spent about a week there in uh, at the end of 2019. I had a fabulous time yeah. in Shoreditch. Went to the Spitafield Markets uh, while I was there. Yeah, I'm a yeah. big big fan of Shoreditch. Fire! 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 Um we have we have some things to talk about with the Chicago Fire because they are coming off of a nil-nil drill uh nil-nil draw against the Nashville SC. Um probably you know, after looking at the starting 11s and, and thinking about how difficult of a month this has been, you know, six or seven games for both teams over the past three and a half, four weeks or so, that, that was a safe bet. Uh, any any sort of draw, particularly a nil-nil draw. Nashville were without Hani Mukhtar. He was available for selection, did not play. CJ Sapong mm-hmm. did not travel. He's been in double digits in goals. So you knew Nashville, um, you know, their two top scorers by, by far um, were unavailable. Meanwhile, the Chicago Fire have, you know, outside of the New England game, it's four out of the five without scoring a goal now. Yeah. So you know that they've been struggling. We're sort of getting back to those days of of the early early parts of the season where we went 1-7-1 and one in our first nine and, and really struggling to find the back of the net. Lucas Dajanovic was unavailable. He had an ankle injury that he was nursing. He actually joined us up in the booth for a few minutes, um, which, which was great. And, and, and Luke is a great personality, and I enjoy his company um, very much. But 
Um, an uninspiring performance on both sides of the ball. Nashville never really looked dangerous. Chicago never looked dangerous. And we know that from Nashville. They lead the league in clean sheets. They have 11 of them. Um, but, you know, uninspiring from the fire coming off of that um, coming off of that loss against the New England Revolution. But Gaga Slonina picks up another clean sheet. There yeah. are some positives uh, to be Tyler, had in was here. was one but, of those um, late season MLS games where, let's just say, for example, the fire are now going to really struggle to make the playoffs. And Nashville, it looks like they are, they've secured their position. They're not going to catch the revolution for the Eastern Conference title, nor are they no. in the race for, for Supporters' Shield. Is it one of those games where it's just, if you could, if Rafa Wicky and Gary Smith could have shaken hands before the game on a nil-nil and let's move on without injuries, is that one of those occasions? I don't know. If you're if you're Chicago and you see that lineup coming out and you know that they're just as as beat up as you are, you're, you know, the fire rolling out cl- as close to their best 11 as possible, minus injuries. I, I mean, I think Gary Smith was fine to take the draw. And I and I understand what you're saying in terms of it being one of those late games. But but that's the case for Nashville. For Chicago, you know, picking up three points in any one of these three games in his home game, in this in his three-game homestand is is huge. And and that was the second-to-last game of the season at Soldier Field. This one against NYCFC is mm. at SeatGeek. You know, you wanted to try to give the fans something to cheer about. There was a great crowd on hand. Um, I think the final attendance attendance was announced like just a shade under 16,000. Which is amazing because the Bears were kicking off at the same time. Bears and the Titans were kicking off at the same time for for Nashville and and Chicago in the Battle of Soldier Field against against Nissan Stadium. But um, I I think Gary Smith was fine to take it. I think you saw that in his his tactical game plan. And, you know, especially given the fact that Mukhtar and CJ weren't playing for the fire, I don't know if Rafa would have shaken hands on that just because I think that this was a good opportunity to pick up three points and coming off of a gun-wrenching loss against New England. But, um, you know, definitely some positives. But... Just a just a performance in which you never really felt like either team was going to score. You know, Gaga Slanina makes one save in the near post. I don't think Joe Willis was ever really tested over the course of the ninety minutes. Mm. Um, but you know, there's definitely some things to sort out for for the fire in terms of going forward and and some creativity and, and inspiration and, and ingenuity that's that's uh, required in the attacking third. How did you find Luka Stojanovic in the booth? I mean, did you obviously he, he was he talked on air, but you must have had a little chat off air as well. How was he feeling about things? He was, he was fun to have in the booth. His English isn't outstanding, but it was very, very good. And I think that, you know, maybe some nerves, you know, just, just shaking those off in the first, you know, first few comments. We had to loosen him up a little bit, but um, had a great time with him. We've had some, we've had some good guests in the booth. Um, you know, we had Bobby Shuttleworth earlier this season. Mm-hmm. We had Joe Mansueto in Orlando and, and now Lucas Stoyanovich. So um, it, it's been really fun to get some of those guys and, you know, both from a front office and ownership standpoint, as well as uh, players into the booth with Tony and I. And it's, and it's excellent because it gets the message out to the fans how the organisation is run, what the feeling is inside the organisation. It gives people a peek behind the curtain of the Chicago Fire, and that's absolutely vital. Um, NYCFC, Wednesday night, is this SeatGeek Stadium? And I, I've been to SeatGeek Stadium a couple of times. And I remember in the mm-hmm. old NBCSN days, there was a case of having to say, welcome to Chicago, and there would be a the biggest. It was almost like the Hubble telescope would be focusing yeah. in on the Sears Tower, the Willis Tower, and downtown Chicago because it wasn't even close, Tyler. And I felt no. a fraud <laughs> saying, "Welcome to Chicago." We know the reason. Welcome to we, Chicago land. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> now we know uh, the whole reason Joe brought the team back downtown to, to Soldier Field, which is an amazing move, is because it's so far away. Um, lovely stadium, by the way. Beautiful stadium, and, and in some respects. I guess Fire fans, the hardcore supporters, will enjoy a return to SeatGeek Stadium on Wednesday, won't they? A bit, a bit, 
the nostalgia. Yeah, I definitely think there, there's something to be said for it. I think obviously they they want to be at their home, which is now of course Soldier Field. But yeah, definitely some nostalgia. That that view from the booth though is pretty cool because you do just get <laughs> you know sort of like this hazy picture of the Chicago skyline, which is obviously the best in the entire world. But it you know it's just well, one of the turn the other way, like, and you yeah, can see downtown is- Detroit. Yeah, this is exactly or or Milwaukee, whichever whichever one. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's one of those ones where you're like, yes, this is we're not exactly a stone's throw away from Chicago. You know, it's a bit of a trip to go on Lakeshore Drive to get on 55 and then head down to get off at Harlem Ave. But um, you know, it should be a nice little piece of nostalgia and sort of bring the maybe maybe a humbling experience for everybody involved, whether it be you know fans, players, staff. You know, because there's a lot of players on the Chicago Fire roster who have only known Soldier Field, and to just sort of you know. Go back in it. Go back in this MLS DeLorean and get a look at as to what this looked like before Joe Mansueto took over the team. Um, but it should it should be fun. You know, it's a game against an NYCFC team that this fire fire group has you know had some had some history with over the past couple of years. You think about them dispatching Chicago and eliminating their chances of making the postseason last year on decision day, mm-hmm. a nil nil draw on Gaga Slanina's first professional start and breaking history there. Um, so it, it should it should be a really interesting game and you know a game in which the fire are not in their home stadium, but it, it, again, it's another opportunity for three points against one of the better teams in, in MLS. And and Gaga Slanina now has played against three of the top five teams in the Eastern Conference and has picked up clean sheets against both of those teams. So he is getting he continues to just get this experience that is going to be so vitally crucial to his development. And and speaking on on, on the terms of development, we did get a question from a fan by the name of Craig Albert recently, um, who lives in Lincoln Park Hello, Craig. in my neck of the woods here. In, in, in proper Chicago, not in Bridgeview, Chicago. Um, so, <laughs> Is he a neighbor of Joe's? So, uh, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. He says he's close to the to the supermarket that I used to that I used to go to. It, I, it's it's hardly a supermarket. It's just a market. Carnival, uh, carnival. Depending on you know the mood that I'm in, if I'm feeling frisky and I want to call it the, the fancy <laughs> carnival. But anyway, Craig Albert uh, asked this question a couple of weeks ago now, and we do apologize, Craig, for getting to this and. You know, I sort of wanted to sit and let it marinate because it, it has to do with a young man by the name of Brian Gutierrez. Hmm. And and Craig has this to say. He says, my name is Craig Albert. And I am a Chicago Fire season ticket holder, having purchased our tickets when the Fire announced their move back downtown. My 13-year-old son, Heath, and I go to every game and watch Tyler's TV away broadcasts. Recently, we stumbled upon the Intercontinental Football Show and immediately were hooked. We did not pay him yes. to say this, folks. We eagerly await the show's drop every Thursday. Now, of course, you know, a couple of more episodes a week. Then we listen and we are bummed out because we must wait another six to seven days for the next episode. We had a question for you. The topic is Brian Gutierrez. Early in the season, Brian started a home game against Miami. We thought he was the best player on the field for the fire. Brian is creative, has great vision, a super high soccer IQ, and consistently opens up the field, advances the play, and creates chances for the fire. We see a real uniqueness in his game, yet for reasons we can't understand, he is not a regular star- not a regular in the starting lineup and frequently just gets scrapped at the end of games despite these attributes and the fact that the Fire have only scored 24 goals in 22 games. It's obviously gotten gotten to be more than that since since Craig wrote this letter. What are we missing? Why doesn't he get more playing time? Thank you, Craig and Heath. First of all, fantastic question. Thank you so much for the support. Um, you know, continue to, you know, Give us a like, subscribe, rate. You know, the more visi- you know, more listeners we get, the more visibility on both the charts or whatever it might be is is only going to help the visibility of the pod. So we thank you, Craig, for for listening um, and and for being a supporter of the Chicago Fire with your son Heath. Arlo, you know, I've had I've you know sat with this question a little bit now after seeing it come across our inbox, ifs at chicagofirefc.com. And you know, if you have any questions related to the Fire or the Premier League, please please hit us up there or you know whatever one of our tweets um, and have at it. But 
you know, Brian Gutierrez is an interesting one because he had a lot of these opportunities at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. when the fire were really struggling with injuries. And there really was no other choice for Rafael Wicke but, but to play him because he was really one of the only options coming off the bench because of all these injuries, particularly in the attacking part of the field. He unfortunately has had an injury that's been nagging him for, for the better part of the season, almost the entire season from, from what we're hearing. And it was, a, you know, an ankle injury that, you know, parts of it felt numb. And, you know, it, it was one of those ones where he sort of was battling through and being a warrior. And some of those players started to come back into form and started to get fit. And then his playing time fell by the wayside. But Arlo, as I'm sure you know, mm. you know, dealing with a, with a player of, of that age, you know, 17, 18 years old, whether it be Gaga, whether it be Brian Gutierrez, is really, really tough because you want to play them. It, you know, for fans, it's exciting to see a young homegrown player. I'm sure for Craig's son, Heath, it's really exciting to ke- see a kid from Chicagoland, from the Burbank area, play for the fire. Mm. But, you know, you need to handle these situations with care and you can't run them into the ground early on. And, and you know, playing teenagers is is a dicey, dicey business. And there's a very fine line as to how much playing time you give them. And yes, Brian has shown all the attributes to be a player that the Fire are going to rely upon for years to come. And maybe we'll get sold to Europe and go to your side of the pond in one day, Arlo. Mm. But you know, this is this is a tricky situation, especially with a player who had a nagging injury. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest reasons why we didn't see a lot of Gucci, you know, towards the beginning, or maybe I should say in the middle and the dog days of of July and August. But um, great question from Craig, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts, Arlo. Yeah, Craig and Heath, um, I think what we're seeing with Brian Gutierrez is the emergence of a very, very good footballer for the Chicago Fire. And he's a local lad as well, and that adds to the story. Um, I think you're right in what you say. You have to handle 17, 18-year-olds with care. What I love about Brian Gutierrez, every time he gets on the ball, he tries to take a player on. Now, he doesn't strike me as a particularly flamboyant personality or uh, an arrogant person. He just has football in his veins. And he has a way of playing that is completely natural to him. Technically, he's outstanding. He will be playing in Europe one day. I've no no doubt about it. I don't quite know what level that will be. That, that remains to be seen. He needs to have a run of games, obviously, with the fire. But I see a player, and I'm not going it's, to... It's hard to compare him to players that people might have you know, heard of in the Premier League, but there's, there's a little Jack Grealish in there, which is... Mm-hmm. you know, maverick nature. Yeah, maverick, yep. flamboyant. Um, you know, I'm not saying that, that, that he doesn't care about it because he does care about the team. And he's, he, he's a young kid, but he has that little X factor that you love in attacking footballers. And the first time I saw him on video, when I joined the fire, I'm like, he's a player. My God, he's a player. And Mm -hmm. what I I mean by that is he could thrive for the fire. He could thrive in MLS. He could be a US international and he could play in Europe. Uh, So yeah, the nagging ankle injury aside, that's probably Craig and Heath, why he's not been introduced or played as many games in the latter part of the season. Um, because this is now the time of the season to play Brian Gutierrez if if you want to get him some experience. So, For sure. So if he's... Look at Gaga. Yeah, 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 exactly. If he's got this injury, then that's that's rough. But he's de- you're right to be excited about him. He's a player. Believe me, he's a player. And if he's nurtured correctly, and Rafa Wicke is the sort of guy that will nurture him, He's going to be fantastic for the fire for many years to come. And actually, you know, one day, if he if he plays well for the fire for two or three seasons and the fire make a load of money out of selling him to a club in Europe and, and they do it diligently and he goes to a club to, to further his career, then his job for the fire will have been done. 
Now I'd like to, I'd like him to stay for ten years. That'd be amazing and win three MLS cups and and you know, and and all the glory that 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 would bring. But Brian Gutierrez as a footballer, I hope he serves the the fire well. I think he will do. He's going to excite people, and then hopefully he'll get a move to Europe and thrive there as well. And the fire will be recompensed as a result of it. Terrific player. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and like, like Arlo said, I, I just love him because everything is forward. Everything is ideas, wants mm. to get into the attacking third. You think back to the Columbus game, he created that Lucas Stojanovic game with her. Um, so again, this is a kid that, that is going to be part of the Chicago Fires future, just like Gaga Slonina is going to be. And that's what George Heights and Sebastian Peltzer wanted when they took, when they took over this project, they wanted, I mean, Chicago is a city of, of over 3 million mm. people with an incredibly diverse demographic all over the city and even out to the likes of Bridgeview and, and things that aren't within the Chicago city limits. So they want to tap into this to this plethora of, of talent all, all across the city and, and some kids that haven't even been discovered yet and wanted to, them to, to be a part of the Chicago Fire Academy and wanted to be a part of their local club and then go beyond from there. So all, every reason to be excited about this kid. And, um, you know, we hope that answered your question. Craig and Albert, thank you so much for being, for being fans Brian of the pod. Brian Gutierrez, he's one of our own... That's going to be the chant next season. That's, that's what I sounded like. And I'll, that's I'll what probably I start like. it. I, I will happily start that chant. Love it. You're, you're, you're going to start the chant when you when you come back to do some fire games over the summer? Yeah. You're going to get on the mic sort of like you did at, at Wrigley when you, you were singing uh, Take Me Out to the Ball. Yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, the seventh inning stretch. Yeah, I've got experience. I've got mm-hmm. previous. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, that, that should be a, a chant from the fire fans. Brian Gutierrez is one of our own. Gaga Slonina, he's one of our own. And, and the fire are producing through the academy very talented footballers, and that's what it's all about. Because, as you say, Chicago is a massive football city. We have people in the city from all walks of life, people that love the game and want to progress in the game. The talent is there, and the fire are now tapping into that, and it's wonderful. Because the more homegrown talent you have that is actually genuinely talented, the the the, the stronger the bond with the fans and that's going to draw more fans in. So listen, let's, let's get behind Gutierrez, Slanina and everyone else coming through the, uh, the fire Academy because it's producing some very good footballers. So let's change gears where we're going to reflect on a quite magnificent premier league weekend. I was very fortunate to be at a couple of games, Brentford, Liverpool and the North London Derby. We'll get to those in a second. Um, a dub got to bring you in here. We've we've been on the pod, Tyler and I. We've seen you with the Chelsea shirt on, home and away, big smile on your face. All of a sudden, reality check. Now, I didn't see this game. I only listened to it on the radio and I've seen the highlights. It appears that Man City went to your house and dominated. Now, this is a Chelsea team that even I was saying last week could run away with the title. Reality check. How are you feeling about it? Going into the match, I knew there was a chance that something like this could actually happen because they were dominant. Their whole game, they were dominant. Until maybe the last like 10, 15, the game opened up. You know, Chelsea were chasing. The counterattack was back and forth. But City could have three or four more goals as well countering. But their press was incredible. The Chelsea midfield was very timid throughout the game. Kovacic, Jorginho, and Golo Kante could not get anything going. The Reese James injury did hurt a lot, but... It was just an incredible press by the whole team. And Ruben Diaz, I just beg him to let Lukaku out of his pocket <laughs> just for the Champions League this week. He yeah. is an incredible center back. Nothing but praise yeah. for how they played. They just outplayed Chelsea. They He's were incredible on the day. Um, 
Do do you feel less confident? Sorry, Tyler. Do you feel less confident about Chelsea as a result of that game, or or are you relaxed about it? I'm not less confident in Chelsea, but I know now that there is going to be a true race with City, with Chelsea, and Good. with Liverpool in this EPL yeah. title race. Yeah. Mm. More of that. It must be said that Adub uh, he had a, a, a rough weekend. Um, it wasn't no. it wasn't rough from my standpoint being at the bachelor party, but you know this is a man who watches his his team uh, get beat up in his own house and then travels uh, to go see his beloved Pittsburgh oh, Steelers no. play and just get thrashed oh, by the Bengals. No, the um, Ohio so it, Derby. Yeah. Oh no! Hold on! No, it, it's it not. Was no, a no. Rough Scratch weekend. That. <laughs> American football. Pennsylvania. <laughs> Scratch that. What? So, so the Steelers went to Cincinnati and got their asses kicked. No, worse, Arlo. Cincinnati came to Pittsburgh. Oh no! And they whooped them. <laughs> oh my god! Really? Oh, it was dear. bad. I had a oh. bad weekend, guys. Oh, I feel for you, Adub. Feel for you. It it could always be worse, Adub. It could always be worse. Um, I, yeah, I, I didn't. I, I saw the highlights of the game. I, you know, the one thing that I heard from from a dub from you know people who watched the game was just the press, the the unrelenting pressure that that Pep side threw at them. And like a dub and I were talking about, like this was looking back at the highlights again. I didn't see the entire game, but just from what I heard, like this feels like the first time in a while that Pep has gone after a, a top four team like this from the jump on the road. You know, like we've seen some he had timid, to, Tyler. You know, timid he had about to. Chelsea. We've seen some he, timid he, games. He'd overthought it in the Champions League final. He'd been beaten three times by Thomas yep. Tuchel's Chelsea in the latter half of last season. He had to do something. He had to go on the front foot. And it, clearly he did. And he put the onus on the players. You know, you could see what it meant to them in the final whistle. The, the celebrations were like they had just won a massive three points in late April to help their to, to help their mm. Premier League chances. Because I think they knew after the draw against Southampton that if they really wanted to, to have put themselves in a really good position early on in the season to continue to be in, in the race, that they had to yeah. get three points. Yeah. They just had to. And, and the, the response at the full-time whistle clearly indicated that, you know, Pep basically said this, this is our, you know, if there was a Premier League final, this is as early as one could get um, right now. And, and, you know, kudos to them for, for executing. And, and when you, when, you know, it's good to see from, from Pep's standpoint, if you put that challenge out there for your players, for them to, you know, for them to, to do it and get the reward. And, and this is like Adub said, I mean, the Premier League, Arlo, is is in the best spot it has been in a long, This is long a point time. that I wanted to make, and I've made it on social media. Um, and by the way, that victory for City meant that when the game kicked off that I was commentating on at 5.30, 12.30 Eastern, 11.30 Central, which was Brentford against Liverpool, which was an instant Premier League classic, it meant that five teams were tied on 13 points. Now, I know it's, it's very early days. <clears throat> and by the time people listen to this, Brighton might be top of the Premier League if they beat uh, Up the if they beat Crystal Palace in the world's weirdest derby. No one quite understands why those two particular clubs hate each other. It's not geographic, but they absolutely despise each other. So it's a derby in itself. If Brighton win it, they go to the top of the table. I think the Premier League right now is in such a good place. It's so competitive. There are so many good players. There are so many compelling and talented managers. The crowds are back. Every team can hurt you. The reason, and I'll go back to what you said, Tyler, about the Man City players celebrating. The Brentford players were celebrating a 3-3 draw. It was against Liverpool. It's a huge deal Mm -hmm. for them. But I think it takes so much 
to win a game of Premier League football right now, even if you're Man City, even if you're Chelsea, even if you're Liverpool, that at the end you feel like you've won a cup final because you've had to try and expend so much energy to overcome the opposition who are coming at you for 90 minutes. If you win, you feel this massive sense of achievement and relief. Now, You've got Liverpool. I love to watch them. Chelsea, I love to watch them. Man City, I love to watch them. Man United, I'm not sure about. And and clearly, Oli um, has issues. Well, not him personally, but he has issues as the manager of Manchester United. It is not clicking in the way that we thought it would. But they're always going to be compelling. The North London derby yesterday, Spurs and Arsenal, they're not challenging at the moment for the title, but they're always going to be competitive and compelling. Leeds United haven't won a game yet, but they're fantastic to watch. Aston Villa, big club, mm. second city in, in, in England, in Birmingham. Beautiful stadium, traditional traditional powerhouse. They're back and they look like a Premier League team. Fantastic. Everton, Rafa Benitez, look very, very good. West Ham United, by the way, I think could play Champions League football this season. And I think they would... I think wow. they progress. They get out of a group. They may, yes, they no. may win a knockout round. They are oh. so horrible to play against. They've got talent, but they're hard as nails, Tyler. What my point being is that every team brings something different, brings a different challenge, a different identity to every game, and that what that's what makes it so compelling. Every player, sorry, every club has a player that can change a game. You know. Burnley are struggling. Norwich are struggling. Now, I I expect Burnley to improve. Norwich, uh, maybe they go down. We'll have to see. Um, But they're a a club. They're a family club. They're a a community organisation that is not selling its soul to stay in the Premier League. If they go down, they'll be in great shape to come back up again. But I just love every matchup in the Premier League because every game is compelling. They're not always great games, but every matchup is amazing. It requires the utmost yes. of focus. Like, like what you, like I think what you said is perfect. Like, you the 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 amount of taxing, it's just it's just incredible because, like Liverpool, for instance. I mean, Mo Salah and Mane had cl- two clear cut chances yeah, to put that scored. game away, and Brentford yes, punished them yes. on the other end. They have to score mm. those goals, and, and you're talking about Brentford, who hasn't been up in the in the Premier League in the first division for seventy four years. And you're, and you're, it's remarkable. And you're telling me that Liverpool and you're telling me that Liverpool need to put in 135% mm. in order to just get out of the community stadium with three points. You look at any other yeah. league in the world and, and you're thinking about a team like Brentford who just recently gets promoted, hasn't been there in seven in almost 75 years. Like you can't tell me that La Liga, Syria, like that these leagues have that same sort of feel to them where you have to be 100% focused and and simply put in the type of effort that most teams are putting in maybe three or four times mm. a season. Whereas in the Premier League, you have to put in those types of performances almost yeah. every single week. And not entirely, almost every single seriously, week. You're going to catch some games. I think yeah. the likes of Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, you know, Jose Mourinho in, a, in, a, in three spells in the Premier League, that's why they love it. Because it's such a challenge. Yep. I mean, if you manage Real Madrid... It's, it's yes, like a drug. You, you manage Real Madrid and, and of course you're going to win or you're going to be challenging for La Liga. And the pressure is you've got to be as good as the teams that went before you. If you manage PSG, if you don't win the French title, you're fired. You're gone. But the Premier yep. League prevent, uh, provides challenges 
of a different nature every single week. And I swear, yesterday, the North London derby, Tottenham Hotspur were comprehensively outplayed in the first half. They came back into it in the second half. Arsenal were a little, you know, a little bit more conservative. They had a three-goal lead. But when the first goal went in from Hyunmin Son, you thought something could happen here. And then when uh, the, the shot from Lucas yeah. took a deflection and the most amazing save from Aaron Ransdale prevented it from being 3-2 with about five minutes of serious playing time remaining. you you The game is never over until the final whistle blows in a way that there's, I think in other leagues, there's a sort of resigned nature to this is how it's going to go. So let's just get to the end of the game yep. and we shake hands and we, and we move on. But in the Premier League, you cannot blink. You cannot take your foot off the pedal because if you do, you get punished and you get punished very quickly. It's so tough. Mm-hmm. So they're a little bit tired, you know, a bit tired, a bit fatigued, a bit worn out during the week. But the, but the you know squads the are so is deep here? now. The rotation is happening that they can fight on all fronts. And I just think it's fantastic. I, I hope that that is the case because we're sitting here saying that the Premier League is in the best spot that it's ever been. And it's clearly the best league in the world, which I truly believe. If we get into into you know late April or May and Premier League teams are starting to drop like flies in the Champions League in the quarterfinals and the semifinals mm. and there's not an English team in in the final, then all we're going to hear about is oh Premier League isn't the best yes. league like we're going to hear yes, all of that nonsense absolutely. once once again. So an English team has to win Champions League this year in order for all of this. Do to you know what Tyler? Hard, it, that doesn't matter to me to th- because I know week in week out how much energy they expend and how difficult it is in this league to be successful. So I know why. So I know, I know why if they you, don't get to the final they're... of the Champions League, I'll know why. And if people want to throw, yeah. you know, sort of criticism at the Premier League, you think you're the big deal. You're not that big because you're not in the Champions League final. Fine. But the league that those teams play in is nowhere near as compelling for 10 months of the year that the Premier League is. Yeah. I, I 100% agree, but I also want to silence the mm. nonsensical, you know, blasphemy shaming <laughs> haters as well. So that's that's sort of where I... Because there are still some people that I even talk to that are like, oh, like, why do you watch, you know, like, I'll just chat up with some some random people at a, you know, whatever, saying, you know, like, what's your favorite league? What's your favorite team? Oh, I only watch, I only watch Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah. I only watch Juventus. I only watch PSG. I'm only going to watch the, you know, the best teams or whatever. You don't watch the Premier League? No, 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 no. I, you know, I don't really buy into it that it's the best league in the world. I don't really want to watch, you know, Brentford. I don't really want to watch Burnley. Enough. Mi- enough. Mi- Mikel Arteta said before the new North London a- derby, and here's a guy that's played in Old Firm derbies, Merseyside derbies, uh, Basque derbies, Le Classique in France, uh, Marseille against PSG. He's played in a lot mm-hmm. of different intense games. He has said the Premier League is the best league in the world and it's the best it's ever been. So he, so basically, this is the strongest league in the history of football. And, he's, and he was a good player. He was a really good player for Everton and, and mm-hmm. Arsenal. And he says, I wouldn't be able to play in the Premier League now. Now, he only retired about seven years ago, eight years ago. But, he, but he's yeah. saying at 28, at his prime, he would struggle to play in the Premier League. Because it's so it's a different level. strong. It's a different he says level in the right last now. five years, it's like night and day. The standard of everything, fitness, quality, dynamism, everything has gone up. Tactics has gone up to such a level. We are now talking, I think, we're now talking about an NFL-style league, which is the, the only one, the only... We don't have Lewandowski. We don't have Messi. You know, there are, there are great players in different leagues. Yeah. But we have 
a league of teams who are competitive. And if Mikel Arteta, who was a very cultured mm-hmm. you know, central midfielder, says, I couldn't play in the league now because it's so good, that says a lot. And it's great. That means that every yeah. time I turn up at a Premier yeah. League game, twice a week, Saturday and Sunday, Tyler, I know I'm going to see something pretty good. It's not always mm. going to be three. It won't it's always be three moment. three. It's, it's, it won't always be three one. But it's going no. to be a competitive game of football, and the crowd are going to be massively into it. And that's all you want. That's what you need. You know. Yeah. There are no slackers in that league. Let's talk about this Liverpool Brentford mm. game for a second, because instant classic. I'm sitting in the in the you know Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. You know, coming off of just. 48 hours of pure debauchery. I mean, you talk about a Manchester City press. This was heavy metal debauchery. <laughs> and I am I am feeling all sorts of things waiting for this, waiting for this plane. And I got there way earlier than I typically do for a flight, given all of my all of my um, you know, struggles to to make my initial flight heading out to Phoenix. And I'm watching the game on my phone. I got YouTube TV going, and and this is just back and forth, nonstop, you know. If you're Brent, and I'm sitting there and it's 3 2 after Curtis yeah. Jones scores the goal, and I'm sitting and I'm thinking to myself, you've done well to defend Salah. You've done well to defend Mane. You've tried to bottle up Jota as, as best as humanly possible. And what do you do? Curtis Jones hits a wonder strike from 25 yards out. Poor Brentford. This is how it's going to end for them in, in one of the biggest games in, you know, in their club's history in the past 75 years. I was like, this group deserves more. Even as a Liverpool fan, I'm mm-hmm. sitting there thinking that. And. Their fight and and their ability to just simply keep themselves in the game. The crowd was sensational. This was an all time Premier League classic, and it was and we're in week seven or eight in the Premier League, and it's and it's September, and we're talking about one of the best games of the season already. We're gonna have fifteen more of these before before the year is over. Um, but you know, Thomas Frank's side, I, I I just don't really have anything to say more about them. Just like you said about Villa, that if Leicester City were somehow to evaporate off the face of the planet, <laughs> Brentford is my second team. If Liverpool were to disappear, I am I am Brentford is my second team. I'm all in, and and I just loved watching that group play, and they thoroughly deserved the draw. If you're Jurgen Klopp, you're going to be very frustrated with sort of the nonchalant, lackadaisical nature of Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane's finishing on on those two chances when it was 3-2. Because Salah went for the chip. Just like Graham Lasso said, I thought that he was going to take that on the first time. How many many times have we seen that ball come across the face of goal? Salah gets it on his left foot. First time, bends it into the far corner. Off we go for the celebration. Take off the shirt so we can see all the muscles that he has that normal human beings don't. But... He tried to take a touch. He was being, and, and Jurgen's going to get into them on that because that is going to be the difference between mm. winning this league is being able to put away teams and being professional until the final moment. Brentford punished them. Great for Brentford. I mean, just incredible, incredible scenes. And, and I just had fun watching, even as a Liverpool fan and only picking up a point on the road. But I think that those types of points in those types of atmospheres are going to be a delicacy this year rather than something that's going to be knocked yeah. in years past. Um, firstly, I'm going to get two sh- T-shirts made with... Two of your phrases so far in the pod. Firstly, blasphemy shading haters. Secondly, heavy metal debauchery. I think they're going to sell like hotcakes. <laughs> Quote Tyler Terrence. Um, <laughs> S- S&P on the front. Yeah. S&P on the front. Blasphemy yeah, shading haters go. on the back. Um, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, as a, as, a, as a Liverpool fan, I would feel that, yes, we're part of a great game. Part of an instant Premier League classic, but geez, we can't drop points at Brentford. With the chances that we had, like you said, uh, Salah and Mane, we needed to put that game away. As a Premier League fan and a neutral, as I was in that situation, and and you 
have that ability to rise above, you know, the, the sort of loving one team and see the event for what it is. It, it occasionally, was occasionally. a yeah. brilliant game of football. It was a wonderful occasion. It was amazing to be a part of it. When you go to Brentford, and it, they, obviously they've got a new stadium, the community stadium, it's been open, I think, well, open to fans only this year. They play Hey Jude, the irony of playing Hey Jude, a Liverpool band called the Beatles mm-hmm. as as they come out and then Liverpool come out to the same tune. But the entire crowd sing it and it's a wonderful track and the atmosphere is just, everything about it is positive. It's lovely. There's no cynicism. It's just a beautiful, positive, affirmation, life-affirming atmosphere that makes you just love the game. I mean, we love the game anyway, but it's there's no narkiness there's no snark involved That's and it, it's yeah. lovely and the team don't get me wrong i'm not saying the team are full of saints they are as competitive and they go in for every challenge and they go for every aerial duel like it's the last one they're ever going to produce in their entire lives ivan tony up front is a brilliant striker and bomo who's alongside him and liverpool is kid. incredible yeah. norgard in the centre of midfield, fabulous. You know, Rico Henry at left back or left wing back, fantastic. The back three works for them. They they buy in to Thomas Frank, but don't forget, Thomas Frank used to be number two to Dean Smith uh, at Brentford. Dean Smith is now doing, I think, great things at Aston Villa, and Thomas Frank is carrying on that legacy at, at Brentford. Now, that's a team that's not been in the top flight for 74 years. They've spent most of you. If you look at the amount of uh, years they spent in each division, their, their average would be upper league one. So they've, they've been in the championship. Mm. They've spent most of the season in division three, and they've spent a, quite a few seasons in the fourth division. So their mean is around about, you know, top six of, of league one. And it proves like Brighton that if you run a club responsibly, intelligently, with a with a sense of business and not emotion. When I say business, I mean the recruitment of players, the way the type of players that you recruit, and you you go about it in that methodical sort of way. You can survive. You, you can not only survive, you can thrive yeah. in the Premier League. And there are 40 mm. clubs. I, I swear not. It's what I love about English football, Tyler. There are 30, 40 clubs that could be Brentford. Peterborough United could be Brentford. Mm. Chesterfield could be Brentford. <laughs> because Accrington Stanley, Stanley, maybe not. But, you know, even the, even they <laughs> have, you know, potential to, to get into the chance. The problem is, is when you run it badly and bankrupt the team in trying to get to where, to, to above your station, if you like. What Brentford have done is done it responsibly yeah. and they're thriving and they are succeeding ahead of teams that are bigger than them. Bigger, bigger bu- budgets, bigger fan bases, but are not run as well as they are. Same with Brighton. It's fabulous. Brighton w- came within one goal about 20 years ago of going out of the Football League, going into the National League, which is Division 5, which is minor league soccer. They have an opportunity to go to the top of the Premier League now. That's what I love about our structure. But the atmosphere was amazing. Incredible. Feel good. But I tell you, if you run a number of clubs in this country correctly, you could do a Brentford. And that's what I love about it. Speaking of, uh, of well-run teams, mm-hmm. Arlo, and I don't know where exactly I'm going with this transition because I don't know whether or not these teams are well-run or what's happening because, you know, Arsenal is in a relegation battle. Now, all of a sudden, they're the kings of North London. But 
Arsenal and Tottenham, I mean, it was actually really cool. They were playing the game on the Jumbotron at Soldier Field. I also were they? Had, um, you know, I also, of course, had they were, they were. They didn't oh. have the volume on, but they were playing it. They were playing it, you know, on mute. But I had I had your call on my computer, of course, while we're getting ready for the game. And Arsenal just jumped all over Spurs, bounces going their way, looking dangerous in the attacking third. And and they wanted to make a statement that, you know, both of these clubs are in transition periods right now, and they simply just did not want to be the one that was that was in a worse spot. And, you know, credit to Mikel Arteta, and you saw some real just hardcore raw passion from him on goal celebrations mm. that, you know, I, I just as a neutral, I love to see. And I think as, you know, Arsenal supporters, and I have a lot of friends who are, unfortunately, and, and God bless their souls, <laughs> but... Um, you know, this was this was a really, really big moment for Arsenal massive. supporters, and it could have gone sideways yeah. in the second half, like we talked about. But um, a, a massive, massive win for them, and a shout um, at, at, at Spurs right now, and particularly Harry Kane, who has not been mm. playing well. Um, that that they got they got some work to do. Tyler, I'm, I'm, I try and avoid hyperbole uh, as much as possible mm-hmm. because I know one swallow does not a summer make, as the phrase goes on this side of the pond. You can't base you know anything on on one game on one experience but i tell you this that was the day that arsenal became mikel arteta's team this is a side that lost their opening three games conceded wow. nine scored none going into the international break were bottom of the premier league spurs were top by the way three games later spurs are below arsenal spurs have conceded nine in the last three and lost their last three. The atmosphere at the Emirates, I can only describe as utterly joyful. They believe that Arteta's onto something. Now, I, I came into the game thinking Arsenal are a complete and utter shambles. But the more research you do and the more reading you do, you think, hmm. Maybe he's onto something here. And there was something I thought that was very, very telling going into the game that that Arteta said. He said, I feel and the supporters feel, which is interesting because he's talking, therefore, for the supporters and and assuming they're on the same page. They know that something powerful is happening. Now, and I said to Graham before the game in our hit, do you, he says there's something powerful, do you sense there's something powerful happening? And it's it's a hard sell. Because Arsenal have been utterly shambolic for so long. But when I saw that starting lineup, and you've got uh, Tommy Yasu at right back, hadn't seen him play before, he was magnificent. Ben White, terrific against Harry Kane yesterday. Gabriel did a bit of reading on him, including yesterday. He's now, his last eight starts for Arsenal at centre back, he's had his injury problems. They've won all eight and conceded three goals. He is the tough nut that you need at the back. And he was the one at the end who was going going like this to all the Arsenal fans. Come on, get behind us. Kieran Tierney at left back. Don't need to say anything about him. He's fantastic. I think Granit Xhaka is a liability at times. And he should have been carded and maybe sent off yesterday. I mean, that's a different story. Martin Odegaard yeah. was just ridiculous. Saka was ridiculous. Emile Smith-Rowe is one of the best young players I mean, we talk about Foden and Grealish and, and these these young kids coming through. Emile Smith-Rowe could be better than all of them. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, but he has that he mm. has that potential. So the, the whole feeling within the Emirates yesterday was it was a genuine performance, but one performed by young players in the in the in the eyes 
and in the image of Mikel Arteta that he's been trying to create since he took charge, with all the challenges that come with it, this was Arsenal 2.0. This was the first day of a new Arsenal. Not to say they're going to take the league by storm, not saying they're going to get in the top four, but they're not going to be as as they have been. You know, (laughs) It, it looks... It looks promising and it looks exciting. And the fans, I tell you, are on board. And Amazon are, are, are ruining that, that, that they're not going to be as, as shit <laughs> yeah, as we thought they I were. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, because because whatever, their IMDb, whatever their IMDb description is, I'm sure has been changed by now. Uh, it's not just vibes anymore. There are actually There is actually some solid football that's being played. Don't forget, they've kept two clean sheets. And yeah, they conceded late uh, yesterday. Um, but defensively, they're more solid. And Ramsdale is now their number one, without question. And he's got a bit about him too. He was bantering with the crowd, made a fantastic save from Lu- uh, Lucas Mora that kept it at, at 3-1. It could have been very nervy. Got his fingertips to it. Really good goalkeeper. I think Luke, I think things look pretty positive at the Emirates. And I haven't said that since we got the rights in 2013. All right, Orlo, time for my side of the pond. Why don't you get us going with your number one? Number one one is, um, as a Leicester fan, uh, this pains me to say, but I'm devastated about the plight that Derby County face at the moment. They've they've gone into administration. I've lived in the area for a long time. It's a big footballing city. Mel Morris, the owner, who who basically came up with Candy Crush and a number of other other games that, that people have on the on their phones, has made uh, almost a billion pounds out of it. I think he thought he could come into Derby County, and it would just be like a magic wand and I will take us to the promised land. It's not worked. They've tried to finagle financial fair play. They've tried to cook the books. It hasn't worked. This is a, this is a, 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 a club who were a foundation club in the Football League, won the championship twice in the 70s, got to a European Cup semi-final. It's a football city, and it's devastating to see it run in the way that it is. And I hope that they can find a buyer. I hope that someone comes in who understands the city and the legacy of what the club means to the city of Derby um, and not try and make a quick pound because that is possible at the moment. Mel Morris has cocked it up. Wayne Rooney's doing the best he can do in the circumstances, fair play to him, but this should not be allowed to happen. All right, my number one on this side of the pond, Yap Stam, the head coach of FC Cincinnati, relieved of his duties today on this September 27th that we are recording just about an hour and a half ago um, as he finishes his tenure at FC Cincinnati going a woeful 8-26-13. and 13. He was the coach from May 21st of 2020 until this September 27th. He won just one of his last 16 <laughs> games. And check this out. It was tweeted out by Ben Wright, somebody who covers um, Nashville SC and some stuff uh, nationally as well for the beautiful game. That the club has averaged a new manager every 21 matches going back to 2019. They've had five managers since their introduction into Major wow. League Soccer. I've never heard of a statistic like that, ever. A new manager every 21 games? That's every two-thirds They're of the, the season. They're the Watford of MLS. <laughs> That's shocking. My number two... Um, Betting companies sponsoring football shirts. Now, look, I have vices in my life. We all have vices. 
betting is something that can ruin lives. I've seen it, I've experienced it. It's never something that I've been afflicted with, thankfully, but I know if I started, I could probably get caught up in the whole thing. I hate the fact that betting companies are advertised on football shirts, and I hate the fact, you don't see this, but in England, every commercial break during a football match is filled with betting companies and what you should do in the second half with this game. I hate it because I'm, I'm not involved in it. Lots of people enjoy it, and if you can do it responsibly, fantastic. But do we need it in our faces all the time? No, I don't think so. So the Premier League and the UK government working towards banning, and again, don't want this to be a nanny state, but banning shirt sponsorship for betting companies, I think is a massive plus for everybody. If you want to gamble, go and gamble. We don't need it in our faces. We don't need it on the shirts. There are a couple of clubs, Bolton Wanderers being one of them, that have, have, have banned uh, betting companies from their stadium. That's their decision. I'm not saying you, we should do that, but, mm-hmm. but banning shirt sponsorships by betting companies, to me, is a step in the right direction. And here we are in the United States. It seems like it's just getting bigger and bigger every single day. You see more advertisements for it. It's certainly starting to take over here, and more states continue to legalize it. So um, it, it's, it's an interesting... It's an interesting storyline and narrative because you guys have obviously had it, you know, at football stadiums and being able to just go bet in the middle of games for for a while now, whereas in the United States, it's it's becoming more prevalent. You used to only be able to go do it in Atlantic City or Vegas at the sportsbook, and now it's in in the palm of your hand. And it's it's really, really easy to play online blackjack in the state of New Jersey, you know, like on your phone while you're just sitting and swipe, you know, like going through Instagram, you can just play some blackjack. So it's it's dangerous. Um, but, uh, you know, fair play to the UK government for, for sort of getting involved. And it is something that, that can ruin lives. So, so, so definitely a good shout there. Um, my number two on this side of the pond, the New England Revolution set a club record for points with a 2-1 win over Orlando City this weekend. They are now 10 points off of MLS record with six games to play. They currently have 62 points. The record is currently held by the 2019 Los Angeles FC, who are on 71 points. So the New England Revolution are on their way to potentially being the best team in Major League Soccer history. Now, I always say that Toronto FC was the best team in Major League Soccer history, and they continue to do so. That 2017-2018 team that got all the way to the final of Champions League and failed to achieve us um, in penalty kicks. Michael Bradley skied over the bar, a la Bruno Fernandez, which is going to don't, be a good segue. Don't steal my number three. number three. Nope, I'm not stealing it. I'm not stealing it. I'm, sim- <laughs> I'm simply just teeing it up. That's all I'm doing. But... This is a this is a real opportunity for New England, you know, who, you know, lifted that supporter shield trophy for the first time in their history, have never won an MLS Cup to potentially mark themselves down as one of the best teams. They are finding different ways to win. They are totally different from that Toronto team in a number of different areas. But what they do do is just rack up points. So this is a group that is not only MLS good, that potentially could be just good on, on, a, on a larger scale, Leagues Cup good if we're thinking 2023, and maybe Champions League good. So they are they are knocking on the door of, of some real history. Number three for me, um, and by the way, congratulations to Bruce Arena as well, who's been a top manager in MLS for many, many years. Um, number three for me is, as we alluded to, why did Bruno Fernandes change the way he takes penalties? 
last minute and I said to to Lee and Graham on this on the pitch side desk at Ellen Road when we were talking about the signing of Ronaldo and what it meant for Manchester United just a little point kind of popped into my head was okay but who takes the penalties and the reason I asked that is because Ronaldo takes penalties a lot of his goals over the last couple of years have been penalties and he smashes them into the back of the net Bruno Fernandes has been a magnificent penalty taker for Man United, a team that gets, a, despite what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer says, gets a lot of penalties. And he has this style and he does it and normally he, he, he succeeds. So stoppage time or, or late in the game against Aston Villa, I, I'm pretty sure it was decided beforehand who would take the penalties because there was certainly no argument about it. But Bruno Fernandes stepped up like he thought and he knew that everyone thought that Ronaldo should be taking this penalty. And he didn't take it in the way that he normally takes penalties. So what he did, he leant back, tried to smash it, and it's probably going to arrive in Chicago around noon central, I believe. Today, it was an awful penalty. Now, if that was his way of saying, well, of course it wasn't, but he's going to be relieved of that duty now and Ronaldo is going to be on the penalties as he probably should have been before but I just wish that Bruno Fernandes had taken the penalty in the way that he takes penalties because it's worked he's missed one out of 17 I think it was in the Premier League before Saturday but Ronaldo is now on pens for Man U no doubt about it and I think that that should have been the case from from the start because then you don't run into this problem where Bruno Fernandes knows that he has one of the greatest players in the history of the game waiting behind him like I think that he, I don't know, maybe he should have just even, and listen, I know he's a competitive guy and he wants to be one of the greats as well, but it's Cristiano Ronaldo. For me and their, you know, the Portuguese national teammates, like I I would have just given him the ball, really. Like from the the beginning of the season, not not just in that moment, I would have just said, just take them. Because it's, because at the end of the day, the first miss, you know, the first miss and the first sign that Bruno, you know, has lost it. I, I think that Ronaldo's stepping in anyway, so you just eliminate that to begin with. And it's not like nobody's going to trust Cristiano Ronaldo to take penalties at Manchester United. So that would have been my approach um, if I was in Bruno Fernandez's shoes. But that's why I'm sitting here talking about it um, in Lincoln Park, Chicago, and and he's and he's out there, you know, trying to recover after that penalty. And of course, the reaction from uh, from Martinez uh, to the to the United fans was was all time. And I sent that to at least 30 people on Instagram um, after after. What? So number three, we'll wrap things up. It's it's not it's not Martinez uh, dancing because that wasn't on my side of the pond. But my number three, listen to this: longest clean sheet streak in North American soccer history comes to an end this weekend. The Tampa Bay Rowdies, led by none other than Neil Collins, had gone 891 minutes without conceding a goal until Hartford Athletic scored in the 94th minute this weekend in what would be a 2-1 win for the Rowdies. Eight full games without conceding a goal. They hadn't conceded since the ninth minute of a 2-1 win on August 6th against New York Rebels 2. And it gets better. Neil Collins now has this unique statistic where he has both played and coached for a team that has kept eight consecutive clean sheets when he and Harry Maguire win eight games without giving up a goal in League One for Sheffield Uh, United in 2014. This is wonderful. These stats are amazing. Hold on. They didn't concede a goal for 860 minutes. That's about 14 hours, right? 15 hours. Yeah, that, that's, more, that's more hours than intercontinental football shows My that we've goodness. recorded. Wow. I mean, A-dubs, like, well, yeah, that, that used to be us. Chelsea, that, that's what we, that's yeah, what we used, used to be to, like yeah, be. before Gabriel Jesus. Fair. <laughs> heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking Monday. <laughs> 
awesome stuff. Great, great stuff on the uh, my side of the pond, Arlo. Um, we'll keep that going. Um, I, I believe we're going to record another episode this week. Remember, folks, if you want to ask a, ask us a question, ifs at chicagofirefc.com or hit us up on Twitter. Um, and we'll be happy to answer your questions. We're going to have a, a promotional event coming up soon for Fan Appreciation Night for the Chicago Fire on October 23rd against Real Salt Lake. Giving away some free tickets. We'll get into that uh, in you know in about two weeks' time. So keep a lookout for that on social media. But Arlo White, uh, why don't you give um, our, our beloved fans who are helping us rise mm. in the charts week in and week out an idea of where they can find you uh, well, we, later we this are, week? Well, we are, I guess... The, the Lady Gaga of the podcast charts. You know, we come from nowhere and we're taking it by storm. But what mm-hmm. I've realised in looking into this stuff, we 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 need um, uh, reviews and we need uh, to be rated. So if you can if you can click the whatever star you want, I'm not going to tell you what star to click. But if you can click on the stars and leave a review, it helps us. And if you enjoy the conversations that we have, uh, we enjoy doing them, and it will help it to continue. And, and let's promote it a little bit more, and and we'll have some fun with it. Um, this week, well, we'll talk about it Thursday, Tyler. We're going to do an, another pod on Thursday, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, another great week of Premier League ahead. But you've got NYCFC uh, at home at SeatGeek on Wednesday. Uh, I'll sign off and leave you to tell everybody how they can watch. Yes, the Chicago Fire make their return to SeatGeek and to Bridgeview the first time that they're going to be playing there since 2019 as they will be taking on NYCFC on the 29th. And that game is going to be at 7 p.m. A lot to play for if you're NYCFC as, you know, it is touch tight, you know, right basically from third place down to seventh, eighth, ninth place in the Eastern Conference. Basically a point or two separates all of them. So NYCFC trying to make sure that they can ensure a home game um, once the playoffs roll around. But NYCFC always a very fun, exciting side and one of my favorite teams to watch in the Eastern Conference. So it should be a great game. Tony and I will be on the call on WGN and Chicago Fire FC Live. Again, that is 7 p.m. Central Time live from Chicagoland, not Chicago, mm. in Bridgeview, Illinois. A-Dub, thank you for your service. We hope that you can recover um, from this weekend. And uh, remember, like, subscribe, five-star rating. Whatever you so choose uh, would be a huge help to the pod, and we will talk to you soon. Go Bengals. <laughs>